This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Hey, Calvary, how awesome is it to celebrate the things that God's doing in these days? It's awesome to see God still at work. Uh, We don't get to see it all at one place, but God's moving behind the scenes at Calvary, and I'm glad you're a part of it. Thanks for tuning in for church today, whether you're on your own, in your own household, or with a home church. We're glad that you're with us. We're going to finish up the book of Acts today, almost. We're going to do chapter 29 next week, so be sure not to miss that. But today we're going to cover the last eight chapters of the book of Acts. As we've studied through God's work of building his church, recorded for us in this great historical book. Earlier this week, I was with a really good friend of mine who asked me a question, and uh, I want to pose it to you. He said, if you had to describe 2020 in one word, what word would you use? He's been asking that question to a lot of his friends and the small group that he's a part of. You might ask it in your home church this morning. How would you describe 2020 in one word? It didn't take me long to say my word. It's the word grief. He said, why grief? I said, well, for me, 2020 began sort of in my memory in March when we celebrated in our family my mother's memorial service. And when I returned from that service back to Colorado, we've never been in the building again for eight months that's a loss. It's been a tremendous loss dealing with all of the implications and walking with families through all of the challenges around working at home together, schooling at home together, other losses that still come in the year, but not having the opportunity to be together. The whole loss of civility around the election season has been a big weight and a grief for us. And I had to add one more last month. My dog died. 12 years, the happiest companion in our household, always steady, always happy to see me. And I really miss him. So it was easy for me to say my word for 2020 to this point, top of mind is grief. But God meets us in our grief. And I could testify also to the faithfulness of God through all the experiences of 2020 to this point. But it does get you asking the question, how do you travel through difficult times of loss, confusion, grief, sadness, uncertainty that we're all in the midst of in a way that trusts in God and sees God's hand in it? So I'm really happy to be able to turn to the Bible and in a way that's a little bit unusual today, we have to summarize eight chapters. So we're not going to read the whole thing. But I want to pull out from Acts chapters 21 through 28, several of the lessons of Paul's life that allowed him to go through difficult times. Let me explain the times. In Acts chapter 21, Paul is arrested, taken prisoner in Jerusalem. And for the remainder of the book of Acts, he's in prison. Think of that. It represents about four years of his life, just about. He's a prisoner in Jerusalem. He's moved uh, to Caesarea. And then he travels by a ship that takes almost a year to get to Rome. And he spends two years 
in a Roman prison. Four years of his life as a prisoner. During that time, he's interrogated and he gets to give a defense of his faith six different times in the concluding chapters. Once to a mob in Jerusalem and then to uh, the Sanhedrin and then to Felix, Festus, Agrippa, leaders of the day, and then to a group of Jews once he arrives in Rome. He's defending the faith in the last eight chapters. While he's in prison, he writes four books of our Bible, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. That alone tells me something about the indomitable spirit of the Apostle Paul, that while he's a prisoner, he's recording the the Bible as we know it, four really significant chapters or, or books of the New Testament. So as you read those four books, now in your mind, you know he's writing from a prison, chained to the wall, with some limited freedom to see friends, as we'll see. But the Apostle Paul is in this place, going through difficulty, and I look at his life and I say there are several things about him that helped him travel through difficulty. And I want to just take those three ideas of Paul's ability to endure affliction and see if they don't apply to our life in 2020. So if you have your Bible, let's open together. And let me just suggest the first idea about the Apostle, Apostle Paul, how he traveled through difficulty recorded in these last eight chapters of Acts. The first is this, that he demonstrates that his prayer life is really a shared life with Jesus. Let me say that again. His prayer life is a shared life with Jesus. One of the things Paul put into practice from an earlier book that he had written, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he writes there um, a little bit about what he knows for sure, and that is, it is always the will of God to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in all circumstances give thanks. For Thessalonians chapter 5. I love that he actually lives it out. Now he's a prisoner, and everything about his life exudes these commitments to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. And that can only happen in the life of a person whose literal prayer life is a shared life with Jesus. So you're in Acts chapter 23, and here Luke records for us that while he's being interrogated, verse 11, uh, and he's being mistreated and questioned, and they really want to tear him to pieces, verses 9 and 10 said. They, they want to do him in and kill him on the spot. This mob in Jerusalem was so hostile. And yet in verse 11, Luke records that the following night, the Lord stood by him, by Paul, and the Lord said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Luke records that Paul is having an experience where the Lord is actually speaking to him in the midst of his trial and this uh, very intense interrogation. And God just comforts him with a word. 
because he has a shared life with Jesus and he hears from Jesus in this moment. The Lord actually speaks to him while he is undoubtedly praying in his own soul in the midst of this persecuted uh, experience. His prayer life is a shared life as he hears from Jesus. And the answer that God gives to him to his prayers is, you've been faithful to testify about me in Jerusalem, and now I'm going to send you to Rome. And this begins to unfold a little bit of a glimpse into Paul's praying without ceasing. He's actually communing with God in that very moment. I want you to think about your prayer life for a second. And as you think about it, um, what kind of vehicle would you pick to describe your prayer life? Let me give you a couple pictures. A lot of people think of their prayer life as a dump truck. They drive the dump truck and they back it up and they tip it up and they dump out all of their cares at Jesus' feet. That's one way, I guess, to think about a prayer life. Like a dump truck, Jesus tells us, cast all your cares on me for I care for you. So there's something right about that. But I want you to think about another vehicle, a, a big beautiful RV. And I want you to think that your prayer life could be like an RV, that you're actually enclosed in this vehicle and you're not even driving it. Think of it as God's driving it. You're in there and all of life is happening in there while you're traveling through experiences, good and very difficult, and God's in control. And the prayer life is such that you're actually communing with God in your prayers. You're not just dumping everything that you think you want from him, but you're in the vehicle with him. He's in control, sovereignly driving in your life. And you get to come up from the rear of the vehicle and say, Lord, I got this problem and he's right there. I like that picture a little better. No illustration works perfectly, but what's your vehicle for your prayer life? Okay, now thinking about what I said earlier, Paul wrote the book of Philippians while he's in prison. So I want you to turn your Bible to Philippians chapter um, four. Philippians chapter four, this should ring a bell for many of you who are listening to me because earlier this year we memorized this section. See if it rings a bell. Philippians four, verse four. Maybe you can say it out loud with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, everybody, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to all people, for the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. That's that praying without ceasing. And then where's the comeback if it's really a shared life with Jesus and you let all of your requests be made known to God, where do you hear back from God? In the last verse there, uh, in verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding and explanation, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I love putting these together Paul's in prison, and I see his prayer life as a shared life with Jesus. And in prison, he writes, Be anxious about nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. And how will you hear from God in this shared relationship, in this shared hearing? The peace of God, 
will reverberate in your soul and your mind and it will guard you in times of difficulty and trouble a kind of peace that goes far beyond all human understanding. So how do you make it through difficult times? You have to have a prayer life, but not a dump truck prayer life. An RV prayer life. A, a life that's shared with him. Earlier this week, I heard from a couple in our church who let us know that he was diagnosed last week with stage four cancer. In several of the emails and text messages that she sent to me in the days that followed, she began to recount the blessings that she was seeing subsequent to his diagnosis with cancer. Who does that? Who says in the week of a stage four diagnosis, God is good. Miracles are happening in the periphery of this diagnosis. Who does that? Someone whose prayer life is a shared life with Jesus. So that in the midst of difficulty, you can say to God, here are my requests. And the reverberation from heaven to our soul and our mind is, I will keep you at peace as you are stayed on me. That's what Paul knew. Again, this Philippian passage is coming at the time that he's in prison. So it makes sense to us, and we listen to it carefully. It's one of the deepest messages I look at Paul. He had a prayer life. We probably shouldn't leave this first idea without just doing a little examination. How do you cultivate a shared life with Jesus? It's simply walking in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, 18, and Philippians 4, four through seven. And God help us that our prayer life actually is a sharing of a life together with Jesus so that we speak to him, he speaks to us. Paul knew Jesus and he heard from him. And I pray in your prayer life, you will too. We don't hear as audibly as Paul did. Most of the time we're listening to the word of God and it's coaching us, but it is the way our life is shared with Jesus. The second thing I notice about Paul, and it's, it's something that permeates all of these chapters to the end of the book of Acts, but it's simply this, that his faith was absolutely contagious. It was so strong in him that when he rubbed shoulders with other people, his faith rubbed off on them. And I love that that held him strong, that he demonstrated his faith in adversity, and then others picked that up and walked with him. It's hard to walk in difficult times when you're by yourself. And sometimes we need others who have stronger faith than we do to make it through the difficulty. Let's look at an example where I think this is clearly seen in Acts chapter 27. In Acts chapter 27, Paul is on a long, nearly a year-long journey in a ship to get from Caesarea all the way up to Rome. 
And in chapter 27, there's a very exciting story of Paul's ship being wrecked at sea. And so we pick it up in the midst of this, and by this time they're throwing cargo overboard and they're all anxious because they haven't seen the sun in many days. They're in no small tempest, verses 18 and 19 and 20 say. And they'd been without food for a long time. And then Paul stands up in verse 21 and says, Men, you should have listened to me. And we shouldn't have set sail from Crete and incurred all of this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among us, but only the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel from God, to whom I belong and whom I worship, that is, I worship God and I belong to God, and he sent an angel, another communication from God to Paul, and that angel said to me, do not be afraid, Paul, for you must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all that sail with you. In other words, everybody's going to make it. You have to go to Rome. Now, this is all fulfilling Paul's dream that he mentioned when he wrote the book of Romans. I really long to come and see you that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. I really want to get to Rome and lo and behold, God's helping to get him to Rome, probably not the way he envisioned, but he's chained in a ship in the midst of a tempestuous storm. They're all fearful of dying. And an angel of the Lord comes to Paul and he says to him, you need to take courage, Paul, because no one on the ship is going to be lost. But this is the key verse, verse 25. Paul says to the rest of the men, who, by the way, numbered 276 people on the ship, so take heart, men, for I have faith in God, and it will be exactly as I have been told. Just exactly what God told me, that's what's going to happen. You take courage, men, because I have faith in God. Okay, right where you are in your living room, I want you to say that out loud with me. I have faith in God. Let's say it again. I know you're probably feeling awkward, but go ahead, say it with me. I have faith in God. That's a powerful statement. And those who heard it actually, I think, clung to the hope of that promise that here's the Apostle Paul who literally heard a voice from God who said, no one's going to perish. And he stands up and says, I want you to have courage. I have faith in God. It's going to be exactly the way that God says. Listen, when you're going through a hard time, sometimes you need someone else who can say, I trust in God. And you sort of hold on. I remember when I was 20 years old, I had something of a crisis in faith when I was finishing up college. And a number of experiences in my life all culminated together, converged in one season of my life where I literally thought about abandoning my faith, giving up a sense of call to my ministry, and walking away from it all. I was dating Lucy at the time, whom I've subsequently married, and I remember she said something to me of some effect 
that you can trust my faith. Hold on to my faith, she said. I didn't know what that meant, but she was a model of exemplary trust in Christ in that time. And I remember holding on to someone else who believed in Christ and eventually navigated by the grace of God a crisis that was real to me in that moment at the age of 20. And in some respects, that rest is history. I've had the experience to do that precisely with someone else. Paul's faith was contagious. It spread. I wonder if you're still in Philippians with your other finger. If you're not, turn back there to Philippians. And let me show you another example. Again, this same book that he wrote when he was in prison, he talks about how contagious faith can be for others. So now Philippians chapter 1. Writing to the Philippians, he says to them, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me in a Roman prison has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I want you to know that what's happening to me in Rome, while I write to you Philippians, is allowing the advance of the gospel, it's being spread to the imperial guard. So you can imagine Paul being chained to the wall and he's saying to the Philippians, here I am in prison and I'm about to go to Caesar and all of Caesar's household is hearing about the message of the gospel because they know I'm in chains for Christ. But watch. Uh, Verse 14, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You hear what he's saying? I'm here. I'm not losing my faith in God in the midst of this. And more and more people are gaining courage, in a sense, because Paul remains courageous. Because faith is contagious. Can I tell you what he was? He was a super spreader. He was a super spreader of courage and faith. And listen, that's exactly what we need in the days that feel dark and the weights of the world weigh in. We need people like Paul who stand up and say, I believe in God and I trust him. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. I believe in God. There are a lot of people who are spreading fear. A lot of people spreading anxiety. There's a lot of spread of doubt. We need people who are super spreaders for faith and hope and love. That's how you travel through difficult days. So could I just lean in friend to friend and in a sense pastor to people. This is our day, Calvary, to be courageous to trust in God in the face of uncertainty and difficulty, to believe in God that we still belong to him. And we know that whatever comes to us, um, he knows. He's in the RV with us. We're sharing life with him. We're traveling through together and we trust in him. I look at Paul traveling through these eight chapters and these four years of imprisonment with a faith that's resolute. In fact, this is my last point. When I look at Paul, 
he had a resolve to finish well that was indomitable. He was resolved to finish what God had begun in him and to be faithful to the very end. He wasn't going to let up. Last week, we looked at a verse, and I want you to look back at it. It's uh, back in Acts chapter 20 and verse uh, 14. Acts chapter 20, verse 14. We spent some time around this last week, but I want to remind you what he said. Paul said, I do not account my life as of any value or as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord to testify of the gospel of the grace of Christ. I want to finish the course, Paul said. I'm committed to finishing well. I'm thinking about this the older I get, of finishing well. I'm in the last quarter of my life in all probability. And I don't know much how longer I have, but I and some others who are my age have talked together about what will it be like in the last quarter of life and how do you finish well? I look at Paul and he had a resolve in his soul that whatever would happen if he was imprisoned in Jerusalem, if he got moved to Caesarea, if he was beaten, all of which he was, if he got moved on a ship and was shipwrecked and almost lost at sea, if he was bitten by a serpent, which he was and almost died, but he didn't. And then he ended up in Rome and he was in trial there for two years. The end of Acts ends that Paul is actually released from prison at about the age of 62 or in, in 62 AD. And he's released for a number of years and then he's captured again, imprisoned, arrested and returned to Rome. History tells us that he later in Rome is executed by Nero by the sword. And the very last book that he wrote in the final imprisonment was the book of 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, we read some of his final words that underscore that with an indomitable spirit, he lived to fulfill his calling. He was resolved to finish all the way to the end. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, these are his final words. Verse 6, I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I listened to those final words of Paul and literally the last section of the Bible we have recorded from him. I kept the faith. I'm done. It's as if an offering on the altar is poured out and it's empty and his life was spent for God. I love his heart, an indomitable spirit to say what God called me to, I'm going to be faithful to, to the end, even to the point of death. I doubt most of us are going to be pressed to the point of death. But here we are, pressed to the point of wanting to quit this whole thing about COVID or wanting to give up. We're feeling the pressure 
to say, is it worth it? There's so much tension and difficulty. Could we grab a hold of Paul's faith and his courage and refresh our resolve to finish well through any challenge that we may face together? The end of that section, the next verse, uh, verse 8, Paul says, I finished my race. Henceforth there's laid up for me in heaven the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. I see Paul at the very end of his life not looking at his circumstances, but eyes on Jesus saying, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness in heaven. We've said this a lot over the years at Calvary, but we get tripped up when we start looking down at our circumstances. Or then our circumstances are so confusing that we start reading the Bible through our circumstances and we wonder if God's still good. And what I see Paul doing is just taking all of his suffering experiences again and putting them through the lens of the things that really matter. That there is a God. I believe in him. And there is laid up for me in heaven an eternal reward And so I can see my present sufferings in light of those. Okay, Calvary, this is our day. And I want to encourage you. What will help us make it through these difficult days? A prayer life that really is a shared life with Jesus. A faith that is contagious and and can be shared for those who are weak and need to be lifted up and a steadfast resolve to finish well all the way to the cross, all the way to the end, eyes on Jesus. That's what I hope you'll talk about today in your small group together and encourage one another with these words. We're going to sing a great hymn together. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. You know, we are centered on him and we can be sure of that. Let's pray together. Father, today I pray for all who are listening to my voice. And I pray for myself that our hearts will be strengthened by looking at such an example as the Apostle Paul. Thank you that you give us models to follow. None greater than Jesus, who went all the way through the cross, faithful to finish well. And then to Paul, who was an example of faith and prayerfulness and a finish. So God, give us courage today. Give us faith in Jesus and commune with us. Let us have life together with you and with each other to strengthen each other to believe that you hold us fast in every circumstance, even in the most difficult of days. Our eyes are on you. This is what we all pray for in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.